Hey, how's it going? Yeah, good. You okay? Yeah, yeah. Everything is good, disconcertingly good. Although I'm um, at one point this week, I had a a fake heart attack, which which uh, put me in the mind of mortality. So really, I occasionally get a. I, I've had. I have now had three fake heart attacks, which are almost certainly acid reflux, but when I have this kind of episode, I have all of the symptoms of a heart attack. Oh, it's, oh you don't mean it's, it's a medical condition that's like, you mean you're a hypochondriac like no, me? No, 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 no. I mean, this is like, I have symptoms such that if I, any doctor I would call will tell me, okay, the only responsible thing I can tell you to do now is go straight to an ER. Right. Like, like that's, that's all I can get from my doctors. Even when I'm, when I'm, I say, listen, I'm not going to go to an ER. I, you know, I, I'm just, I've done this before. I'm not, but it's a, um, left-sided chest pain that radiates down my left arm. I mean, it's just, Oh, that would, I would be terrified. It's crazy. I, would, I would assume the worst as well. Yeah. So now yeah. it's going to be the, the, you know, the, the heart that cried wolf, you know, and then I'll get a real heart attack and I'll be the guy who just refused to go to the ER. Yeah, well, I, that's why I never. I, that's what I never joke about. That the one thing I don't joke about. I never pretend to be having a heart attack because one day yeah. it will be real. Yeah. I also, I also think that if I have a heart attack on the street, I'm worried that someone will just start filming it yeah, before sure. they phone the ambulance so they can put it on YouTube. You can be sure of it. So yeah. I'm really worried about society. Well, it's funny you say that because with all our conversations, we've always touched on, you know, mortality and morality and and uh i thought we should talk about you know sum it up the meaning of life hmm. and i think this should be less of a a scientific philosophical journey but more of a a personal one and you know what what's the point of life for you and i know the you know the term point here is ambiguous it could mean what do we get after it all a religious belief is that hmm. life is a gift and it's a test to see if you deserve and all you know, uh, eternal life. Now, neither of us think that it could mean. What do we do while we're here? And again, you know, what's the point if we die? I think we've touched on that. Mm. Or it could mean why are we here at all? You know, what happened? And that really means not so much why, but how. So we're here. <laughs> we had no choice in the matter. We we're here. We've got a few years. There's no afterlife. What do we do? What What's so great about life? That's the question. Mm. What's so great about life? It's certainly not one answer, but most yeah. of the answers have a, a common property for me at this point. And it's the property of finding some reason or some way to find the present moment so compelling that your attention isn't wandering to questions of what's the point of all this or you know, what am I going to do next? What's happening tomorrow? It's really, you, you found some way of living, whether it's through your relationships with the people you love or your engagement with specific, you know, fascinating ideas or your, or your creative process or, or whatever it is. You know, yeah. for me, meditation is part of this. I mean, just in terms of training one's attention to be able to do this, you know, really arbitrarily, but just be able to get into the present and find what's beautiful there you know, without having to rearrange all of the furniture to justify that but some people are, are much luckier than others in, in in being able to put all this together but to be able to to have a present moment more often than not that 
is beautiful and captivating and filled with positive encounters with with other human beings and and that's very interesting because i've i've always felt that intuitively that it's just to be happy all the time and then obviously things get in the way you can't be Mm. you can't be a hedonist it's not it's not the only thing in life just for you to be happy because you could hurt others being happy so there's lots of caveats but you're right it's it's if your life is is finite which i think it is then you have to fill it with much more joy than pain for you and as many other people as you can and you know i think a venn diagram of the point of life would be a mess there'd be lots of overlaps lots some categories some some lists of you know i mean i made notes that i've got about i've got about 12 reasons but you know some of them are just specific things and some of them are you know are, are more generic mm. I remember one of the first lectures I had when I did my philosophy degree, Ted Hondrick, we spoke about before, he was a professor. And I remember him striding around the room saying that you need three things for a good life, a meaningful relationship, a decent job of work, and to make a difference. And I even put that into the mouth of David Brent, Mm -hmm. using in the office. And uh, I think... People understand a meaningful relationship. That's sort of taken as read. I didn't, I didn't quite realize how important a decent job of work was. Mm-hmm. And again, there's loads of categories in that. You know, it's a pleasure experience, success, sharing, all those things that I think we just have to work. I think there's something in us that even if it's cleaning out the cave or a bit of gardening mm-hmm. or looking at, we, it doesn't have to be you're a top lawyer. You just have to do something tidying the house and looking back and go right that having achieved something i think is a big is a big part of it but uh you're right you cannot there's not one and i don't think there's any number because they cross over and you know but we're sort of stuck with it yeah trying to find what's right and what's wrong yeah i do think they have a common property though that i mean the kind of the cash value of all of those disparate things is at least in part this satisfaction in the present, you know, just being able to just having enough of a reason to truly relax into this moment, right? To not be looking over the shoulder of this moment for the next thing that's coming. And, you know, so like, like, you know, it's, it's the difference between, you know, to take that analogy, literally, I mean, like, if you're, if you're at a party, talking to someone, and you're really having a satisfying conversation, that is different than looking over that person's shoulder for who you might talk to next because you're, you're, you're trying to improve your experience. And, you know, we, we live so much of our lives by habit in that second mode of continually deferring our happiness to such a time when we, will, we think we've arrived. And so you, you, yeah. we do this with goals, you know, whether it's a goal for you know, the next hour or the next day or the, or, the, or yeah. five years from now. But I'm, I'm also interested in the places where this breaks apart. And it, it breaks apart on that third point you mentioned of making a difference, because I noticed there, there are ways in which being a good person and making a difference, right, being ethically engaged with, you know, real human suffering and, and doing your best to mitigate it, where there are rewarding experiences there that are fairly trivial and massively helpful things we can do 
that aren't very rewarding, right? That just don't even show up as a, you know, a, a hedonic response yeah. to doing good. And so I'm going to give you two examples from my own life where I, like, if I have some positive engagement with another person face to face where I help them in some minor way, you know, someone drops something and I pick it up for them and hand it back to them and, and we smile at each other, right? That, that gets inscribed in my brain as it's so good to be alive and, you know, it's, people are so great and you, know, you can have these momentary encounters with, with strangers that are satisfying. But that is an absolutely trivial exchange. But yes. I can, in another mode, set up a, you know, a direct debit to one of the world's best charities and have you know, significant funds debited every month buying bed nets in sub-Saharan Africa. But I, I never think about true, it. Right? it. It's very, I get very little psychological reward from doing it, and I do it every day of my life. Yeah, but I think there are some things you just do and you don't think about them because it doesn't look like it's rewarding or giving back, but just not hurting someone every day. Mm -hmm. that, you know, that's, that's, that's level one, isn't it? Don't, <laughs> don't go out causing harm, right? 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 So, you, so you're at naught. You're at naught there. You're not a murderer. You get, yeah, you get, still, you're at naught. Still right? not a murderer. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then I think, you know, if there's a scale, which I don't think there is, even to the, the, the I think that, um, I remember was a conversation with a, a, a doctor, uh, you know, who, you know, liked my stuff. And I said, You're a doctor, you save lives. And he said, Yeah, but after a shift, I go home and watch comedy. And I think, mm. Oh, okay. So I'm helping him a bit. Yeah. And he's saving lives. So I'm sort of involved, yes. you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and, you're, and you're doing that for many doctors, so you are saving exactly. more lives than any of them. Like Bob Hope entertaining the troops. Yeah. You know, they are, they're risking their lives, yeah. but, he, you know, he's, he's giving them something. So I think we're all inextricably mixed with each other, and I, and I, and I don't think, again, I think that decent job of work, it sort of covers it by definition. Because we don't need everyone to be a doctor, just like we don't want everyone to be an entertainer. That you know, but everyone doing something well, we're like one massive organism, really. You know, if you were to get an ant's nest and look around and go, right, mate, you're not doing much. You know, I go, no, but I'm in the gang. You know, that <laughs> all the other ants would go, no, leave him alone. We 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 like him. I think uh, uh, you know, as a big blob of humanity. I don't think you can break it down into individual, individual who's done more. But as a personal thing, yeah, I think you want to go to your deathbed and you want, if God was keeping score, he'd go, you're plus 238, mate. Well done. Mm. You know, I, I think you, you want to you wanna be uh, uh, with, a, with a, the, the scales of good and bad. You want to have a heavy weight down on good. You were, you were, you were a better person than you were bad. So that's one thing. And again, it's also nebulous. But um, I think you're right. Giving back is a big one on my list. And more and more now, I think philanthropy is the way to go. Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah. You really can't take it with you. So you know, I, I think that, and that's, again, we've talked about this, but that's a pleasure. And I think I, it can't be true altruism because I feel good when I, when I rescue a dog or give money to charity. So it is personal as well. I feel good. It makes me not feel guilty about having money or whatever or being lucky or all those things. But I think that is a, that's a big tick for me. 
yeah. would be um, would be uh, giving back. Yeah, I, I, actually, I, I've had my thinking powerfully influenced on this topic by uh, this young philosopher at Oxford, Will McCaskill. I don't know if you've heard any of my conversation with him, but no, he's one of the people who started this movement, which is now named Effective Altruism, and perhaps you know, misleadingly on your account, but they're just very systematic in evaluating how to do the most good you know, per dollar. And, and it's, it has kind of a, a very tech-centric, you know, Silicon Valley-centric community around it, although it has spread. But they're just very rigorous in how they evaluate charities. And because it's just, in fact, true that some charities are a hundred times more effective than others that look yeah. more or less the same, you know, in terms of trying to solve a similar problem. He's been an advisor and, and somebody who's been on my podcast a bunch. And but one one thing that has changed in my attitude around this, and I think this is a cultural norm that that should change. We have this inheritance from religion, mostly I, I think from Christianity, that you shouldn't talk about your philanthropy really. I mean, you shouldn't yeah. like the, the, the most noble way to help others and, and the world is to do it anonymously, because then you know that it's not corrupted by pride or your, yeah. your attempt well, to, to wash your reputation. You know? I disagree practically, because I'm, I'm, I've been told by charities to say when yeah. I donate them, because yeah. other people do. Yeah. And so, so that's flip for me. So I, I now talk yeah, about it. I yeah. agree. Yeah. But I think, I think what I, I always thought it was okay. What put me off was there was a spate when I was young and cynical, of celebrities only doing things for charity if it was televised. Mm -hmm. So that made me cynical towards prominent people and famous people showing off about it. So, mm. and um, I, I think, again, if you, if you just do it flippantly to look good, people suss that out. So I think if you're genuinely passionate about a subject, people believe you and they know you're telling the truth. And for all the charities I do, I think people know me more for one thing, which is animal welfare. Mm -hmm. And that, and that, I mean it, and it's true. I do care about animals, but I also think people believe me as well. So it does the charities more. So it's yeah. not just a person putting their name to a hundred charities. Yeah. Well, when you're, I think when you uh, retweet an image of a matador going down under a bull and, and you tell him to fuck off, I think people know you, you have the courage of your convictions. Yeah. I, I've never, I've never, I mean, there's, this is your again, cause. there's so many categories in animal welfare and there's, yeah. there's, you know, there's torture, blood sport, veganism, all these crazy. But that brings me on to another thing as well that, again, very recently, I'd add to the list of the point like is 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 personal growth, mm. and I think with so many people being judgmental and people calling out hypocrisy, like you can have someone who gave their uh, kidney to a stranger, but he used the wrong terminology on Twitter, <laughs> yeah. and he's he used the wrong pronouns for that stranger. Exactly, and so he's a, a villain. I think, hey, everyone, come on, he's not the. There's, there's, they're real enemies to go after. Yeah. And um, I think all you have to do, and I'd say to people without trying to lecture anyone, is all you have to try and do is be a little bit better today than you were yesterday. That's all you have to do. And that's what's so 
strange when people are cancelled for something they did 10 years ago that they don't do anymore. It's like they're being punished for growth. They're being punished for being better now. Well, it's, you know? so, it's so extreme that it, it, even 12-year-olds or, or there are people who are being punished for things they tweeted when they, or, or recorded when they were 12. Of course. It's, and, that, and that's done because people want to own someone and, they're, and, they, and they feel bad about themselves, right? That's the virtue signaling at its worst. Mm. It's people saying, look how perfect I must be if I care about this absolutely minor misdemeanor in someone else. That's how perfect I am because I, I judge people on minor things. <laughs> so, so there's that as well. But personal growth for me is a, is a thing. If, you're, if, you, if you can only try and be better than you were. And then it, again, but the strange thing there is the better you get, some people feel guilty about how terrible they were 20 years ago. Because no. like, oh, yeah. they're, they're judging themselves then on themselves today. And that's what society does. You know, we, we judge people from 100 years ago on today's values. So they're never going to come off well. They're never going to come off well. So it, it's, it's a tricky one. And, uh, and I think some people are, are so tired. For example, when I, uh, when I stopped eating meat and I was a vegetarian, I was accused of hypocrisy. Because you, you were wearing leather shoes or... What? Well, for whatever, for not, for not being completely vegan, mm-hmm. I want to go, but you're not going after people who are actually still eat meat. It's like hypocrisy was worse than actually eating meat. Yeah, so yeah it's the near enemy says, principle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course I torture dogs, but I've got no problem with it. Okay, you're all right then. But this guy doesn't like torturing dogs, but he likes a cheese sandwich. He's the worst. <laughs> I want to go, no, there must be a sliding scale on yeah. trying, to, trying to be a better person. There must be some reward for just trying your best. Do you know this principle of reducitarianism, where it's just eating less meat, right? So it's the acknowledgement that if you're someone who ate two hamburgers a week, the move from two to one is virtually identical to the move from one to zero. Yes. If if you're what you care about is less death and less economic incentive for yes. killing animals but then would you say should... that's a practical scale and not yeah. a, a moral one so they'd say well no you can't go around saying i, I killed two people i'm better than that yes. murderer that killed yes. four i used to be like so ted bundy but better, now i'm not better than yeah. him but you're right <laughs> yeah. you've killed less people right. well done well <laughs> yeah so it, it, it is it is um Here, it is very complicated there's a there's a um a rather earthy image that one uh, Buddhist meditation master once gave me. It had to do with some uh, measure of, of uh, ethical error, or um, I forget what he was targeting there, but he said, in response to an ar- some argument that just a little bit isn't all that bad, he said, well, tell me, if we're, you know, I'm going to serve you a cup of tea, and I, I take out a needle and stick it in a piece of shit, and then just stir the tea with that needle, how eager are you going to be to drink that cup of tea it's just a little bit of shit yeah and i mean there's a sort of purity standard that gets invoked that is very different from any kind of practical notion of of just how how do we reduce the suffering we care about to some level that is as close to zero as we can get it right well obviously if that happened to me i'd say sorry mate (laughs) who gives you the right to put any shit in my tea (laughs) why uh why are you doing it at all is my question. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't care about the scale of yes. shitness. 
Who, wh- what are you doing with my teammate? Well, that, 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 that was his point, you know, that any shit is intolerable. Yeah. yeah. It's like going up to a stranger, you know, can I hurt you a little bit? And I go, no. And I go, oh, come on. Why not? Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. All right, so no, I have a question here for you that you're, you seem better placed to answer than me. How has celebrity factored into this, this calculus of what makes life worth living? How, how has it pushed well, and pulled your well-being? And, and well, I guess you can, you can generalize to the experiences of other people you know well. I suppose it's made me think more in the fact that you're judged. Most people aren't judged. People aren't meant to be famous. So not, not so much anymore now, but when I first became famous, I was very conscious of it. I feared, first of all, I feared being famous. When I was right in the office, I thought, if this is a hit, mm. I'm going to be a famous actor. And I, I was, I sort of feared fame for many reasons. I, um, you know, the intrusion, the, the British press, I thought, what, what are they going to say about me? And I, and I, and I worried that, worried about that for a few reasons. I thought sort of reputation was everything. I thought I'm a good person. I've always been a good person. I, I, I try and live a good life. What if they say a horrible thing about me? It's not fair. And now I've gone through it. I realize that reputation is important, but character is more important because reputation is what strangers think of you. Mm. And character is, is who you really are. So there's one thing there on principle. Also, I feared it because I didn't want to be lumped in with those other celebrities that I saw that would do anything to be famous. People would live their life like an open wound. And I was very conscious to let people know that fame was an upshot of what I was doing. Uh, it wasn't the end goal. I right. never valued it. I've never asked for anyone's autograph. I've never been starstruck. I've always, you know what I mean? I've never, I was never that kid growing up. I, I you know, I admired people for their, their skill and their talent. I loved David Bowie for his songwriting. I, I loved footballers for their skill or whatever. But I never put them on a pedestal store. I never, you know, so I, I, I didn't want people to think that I was doing it for, you know, the adoration of strangers. So all those factors, and I feared the first, you know, bad review or some, someone not liking me. And then when it happened, you think, you realize, oh, no, it's fine. It's it, fine. It, it sort of happened all at once too, right? Didn't you just break through and go to well, virtually your present level? I mean, it always happens. It always happens overnight because if you, if no one's heard about you, and then they, some, even if you've been trying for fifteen years, that people think right. you're an overnight success. So yeah, I suppose I came out of nowhere with a big hit show, and you you go you go from nowhere to everywhere. So you know, people want to know where you came from and and all that. And uh, I remember in early interviews, I tried to be boring because I didn't I didn't want it. I didn't want. I didn't want people talking about me. I wanted them talking about the work. That's mm-hmm. all I wanted because it felt creepy. I d- you know, the first time someone recognizes you in a shop when you're buying underwear, it's creepy. Mm-hmm. Well, the that, first that, time you it, hear a lie about you, when you hear someone say, oh, you know, I've, I've heard he kicked squirrels, you want to punch their face in. Mm-hmm. And now you think, who gives a fuck? No one believes them. No one knows. You know? Well, the thing, so, but the thing is, it's not quite true, right? I mean, there, there are ways in which you're, despite the probity of, of one's character, you're, you, you might have your reputation successfully sullied, and then you have to live with the consequences of that. And so that's, it's not a, an empty concern for people, right? Well, it's, well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a, 
I mean, I think that's true anyway. I think if you're not a famous person and yeah. Yeah, you have so, even fewer tools to respond to it. When that yeah. Happens, yeah. I've sort of, I've sort of gone in and out the other way and, uh, and the, um, the, but, the, but, so the, but there's a difference. Play. I mean, it seems to me there are different lanes one can be in as a famous person and, and they're very different. Right. So, yeah, I mean, so it, it's always struck me that there, there's a, there's a kind of fame that has all of the benefits of fame where really there's, there's it's just all upside and no downside. And that I'm, I'm just imagining this. I don't actually, I, if I thought hard about it, I might, I might know somebody personally who, who is in this lane, but the prototypical example for me has always been the author who just died recently, uh, John le Carré, where right. I always, I assumed, I think correctly that, you know, he was so well known and well regarded by people who you know, read spy novels that you know, he could have gotten the president of the United States on the phone more or less whenever he wanted. And yet yeah. he could go buy underwear and virtually no one yes. would recognize him. Yeah, that's true. He's not bothered on the street, but he can get a table at the Ivy yeah. when he wants. Yeah. And he can, you're right. Yeah. And that, that's funny because that would be certainly two of the uh, upshots of fame that you, you know, you, you, you can get a, a table reserved and you can meet your heroes if you're working with them and all those things but they seem trivial to me and um but it, it has none of the it has none of the downside i mean and you can and you can talk no. to a million people if you if you have something important to say but you yeah you just you just you can live a, a basically normal life that's right and again that's one of the things as i get older that i realize is is the aim it's to live a normal life hmm. the the you know, David Bowie, who I knew a bit, was, you know, an absolute megastar. And on stage, he was a rock god, but he had a normal life, you know? How did it, he achieve that? I mean, he, he, he could go out in public and he wouldn't have a paparazzi thing where everyone? No, I think that, you know, he, he, I walked down the street with him in New York and some people sort of nodded. And I mean, I think that's more a reflection of living in Manhattan. So that's one thing, you know, I think you've got to choose carefully where you live and again uh, no one bothers me here in fact i use my fame to my advantage because i can scruffle any dog and instead of who's that weirdo scruffling my dog mm. I go, oh it's, uh, it's the bloke from the office scruffling my dog that's all right and, you know jane actually said it's the best thing about being famous you, you that, can pet anyone's dog and they don't mind yeah yeah we can we can go up and scruffle the dog and they go oh it's the bloke off the, yeah he's allowed he's allowed he's not going to steal it he's yeah. not a man if he, if he does so, i have a great story Go ahead, yeah, steal my dog. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to yeah. record you yeah, on my yeah. iPhone. Yeah, I stole my dog. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I uh, it bothers me less and less. And I think you know you you you've got to handle it well. And I think it's much worse. I think it's much worse being famous at twenty than forty. Mm -hmm. I think it was Oprah that said, "If you're don't know who you are by the time you become famous, it will define you." And that's true. It's a different way of life. I think people who grow up famous or even with famous parents it's not of this world and i think the aim despite all the glamour and what people think being famous is rich and famous is the end goal is to live a normal life to have been a person and to live a normal life and my money so let's let's talk about success then mm. so success worth work money for me money is to buy safety comfort, 
health, which is, you know, a bit of longevity, more experience, and to save animals. That's, and, and you can do all that if you weren't rich and famous, it's just easier. So mm. all my money is now spent on having a nice, normal <laughs> life. I don't race cars. I don't do drugs. I don't, you know, I don't do all those things that, you know, I, all my values are the same as they were. All my passions, all my pleasures, all my interests are exactly the same as they were in a bigger house where I don't wee in the sink anymore. That's, mm. that's, that's what's <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. It would be, it would be depressing if all of your fame and success culminated in you still pissing in the sink. A golden or, sink. Or, it's yeah. a golden sink, yeah. <laughs> like some sort of weird mythical king. He built the biggest yeah. sink and filled it with wee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, and it's strange with fame. because, fr Frankly, I'm getting ready to cancel you for the fact that you ever were pissing in the sink. Yeah, 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 once. Yeah, <laughs> that, now, it, now it's the worst thing you can do. Um, <laughs> Eating cheese and peeing in the sink. <laughs> it's an act of oppression. But yeah, so that, that's an interesting point though, isn't it? That making a difference. But actually you, you sort of bent it a little bit with, by changing the, the noun to success here, which has a different connotation, which is interesting. So I, I'm, I want to throw another word at you. Go on. What about status? Because success well, maps onto status in a way that changes the picture here a little bit. Because you imagine getting together a celebrity a famous uh, or a very a very influential academic and just a very rich person who's anonymous right so they they've all succeeded in in very different ways and with respect yeah. depending on where the conversation goes one has higher status than the other and it's it, Again, it's, it's, a, it's a weird kind of social calculus to to it, judge who's actually succeeding there yeah well, it, well okay so status so status success whatever worth I think we've touched on this before that, you know, cavemen used to blow, put their hand on the cave wall and blow woad and leave their handprint. That was their legacy. I was here. And all, all through humanity, people have wanted to leave a legacy. And so fame was sort of a, an easy way to do that, that you would be remembered. You'd have more things written about you. Being in the present, fame gets you a table at the Ivy or to meet your, you know, your hero. So all, all these things seem to be payback with that for status. But what is status really for? Again, I'd say it gets you comfort. It gets you to that comfort. I don't fly first class on a plane because I think I deserve it or because I think it's a better class of person in that thing or because I'll be treated better or because I get a free champagne. I get there because I'll be left alone. If they mm. said all these famous people are at the front, right, but economy's empty, I'd go, I'll take economy. I, I, they, I did a film once, and they put me in this massive trailer, okay, but it was opposite a school, so it was noisy. So I, I want, there was one around the corner that was a shitty little trailer that was quiet. I went, I'll have that one. They mm. thought they didn't understand what I, so the best table in the restaurant for me is one that's, out of the way of people. It could be near the gents' toilet, but I like it more. I don't want the best table that's the one in the room that, that, that traditionally everyone looks at you. So, mm. But that suggests to me that, that you're too famous. Like, I'm, a, 
I'm in a very different place than you are here because I, I, you know, I'm, I live in what I consider the uncanny valley of fame, which is I'm actually not, I'm not famous by any, you know, rational description. But your name is, is what you mean. You're not, you are. You're, well, no, I but think... I, I get recognized. I get recognized with some regularity, but I just can't, yeah. I, I'm not famous enough to know that I'll get recognized wherever I go. Right. So, you know, when you show up at a restaurant, you know, you're on public display because you are famous enough that a lot of people are going to recognize you. For well, me, when I walk into a restaurant, it would be irrational for me to expect to be recognized. But I often am. And it often has the form of a kind of ambush where I will have been dealing with someone for a half hour. You know, the waiter at the restaurant might be, you might have served the meal. And then at the very end of it, without having betrayed any glint of recognition that whole time, he or she might say, I just want you to know I really love the podcast. And then I'm sort of cast back on myself thinking, yes. wow, was, what, did I comport? I mean, this, it's fascinating psychologically because I have to, I've noticed some distance between who I'm content to be when I think I'm anonymous and who I want to be when I think I'm maintaining my public facing reputation. And the mismatch there makes me think, oh shit, should I have been different in the last half hour than I, yeah, than I was? That, that still happens to me. I still, I forget I'm famous. Hmm. And you know, and but and I'm 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 always I'm never surprised if someone doesn't recognize me or act like they don't or, or hide it. I I I don't think of it at all. Hmm. Unless I'm on the red carpet waving at people, I don't think I don't walk around thinking I'm famous ever. I forget I don't go into shops now. And also I've I've got a similar level of fame to you, whether you think so or not. I'm not Justin Bieber or Tom Cruise. My hmm. photo everywhere i don't it's not it just doesn't feel like that i feel more like a writer director than mm -hmm. than a pop star or a film star or a i i, I, I don't i also think i'm not in, I, i'm 60 it's not again i'm not walking down the street with you know an entourage or a, i i shuffle along like a, <laughs> you know what i mean like an old man in a cap mm. I, I don't feel I don't feel like a celebrity. I've never liked that word anyway. Well, so, so then how do you, from your, your perch, how do you view the fame of people like Justin Bieber or Tom Cruise or, or people who can't go anywhere without every horrendous. head turning? Absolutely horrendous. Hmm. And I, I, it, I, 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 I've never wanted that. I never want that. I hate it. I don't, li I don't like it. I don't like... I'm even when I do an interview about my work, I'm always nervous about it coming out because I'm in the paper that day and what yeah. you know. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. But of course, I like it when it's good. I go, phew, that was all right. So I suppose whatever field I was in, I'd want to be respected and eminent. If I was a if I was a research scientist, which was on the cards at one point, and I discovered some sort of plankton that can cure impetigo, right? Mm -hmm. And I was, I was in the, I was in all the papers and uh, in the medical papers, and everyone in that lab said, "Well done." That would be great for me, you know. I, I, so I'd still want to be respected amongst my peers. It's just that when your peers are other famous actors, it, it had a, it has a bleed into the real world. Mm -hmm. Just like I've always said this, like, why do they, why do they televise awards for actors? It's because they're famous already, right? Why do, they don't televise awards for teachers or marketing managers 
or nurses mm. because they're not famous. Whereas the opposite should be true. Why do they give awards to famous people? Well, because the awards body like it. Why do why does the Queen give out things to famous people? Because it makes their awards more famous, you mm. know? So it's this self-perpetuating yeah, yeah. that fame feeds itself. It's weird. Why are there so many magazines about fame that are all the same with all the f- same people on the front? Because people still buy them and that makes the people more famous. And you you have to play that game, you know? So I try and stay, I don't give interviews to those things. I don't do everything, you know? I. The only reason I do it at all is because I want people to watch my show. Because if they watch my show, then someone gives me money to make another show. Mm-hmm. Listen, I, I'm, I, I see the next chapter of your life. This is the uh, Ricky Gervais seeking the plankton that cures impetigo. Yeah. Uh, you, you'll be famously insane. Uh, this is the Howard Hughes phase of your final I, I'm chapter. I'm embarrassed that when I receive humanitarian awards because I know there's a thousand people who have done a thousand times more than me for animals, mm-hmm. but they're not as famous. Right. So, yeah. but I also have to do it because I know I'm doing the charity a favor yeah. by taking the, <laughs> this jumped up award so they can, so, you know, it, it, it is a dilemma and um, you have to, it is a balancing act of, you know, what's, you know, I, and I always think even as an atheist, what would God say? God would go, um, you know what, it's better you do it than not. I've done the calculation. It's slightly better you do that than not do it at all. I go, okay, I'll, uh, I'll do it. So, it, it, you know, it's difficult. And uh, all the other things come into it, as we said, you know, pride. Does that ruin altruism? I want to I touch on one. So we've done um, giving back, making a difference, growth, all those things. Sharing, I think it's a bigger one than people realize. And it, it's, it's something that I've sort of made a study of in Afterlife, where all the lovely things that can still be done, there's a, a line that Tony says, uh, he says, people think I could just feel better, all those things I did with Lisa. I could just do them anyway, but they're missing the point. I don't miss doing things with Lisa. I miss doing nothing with Lisa, mm-hmm. just her being there. And I think that's a huge thing. You can do all the greatest things in the world, but if you're alone or you've lost someone, it's just not as good. You know, and you could make it, take it to the nth degree that you're the last person on earth that you can walk around museums by yourself, you know, walk mm-hmm. through the hanging gardens mm-hmm. of Babylon, do whatever you want, and you have a great day, and then you go, oh, it, it, I didn't do it with anyone. Yeah. So it doesn't exist. It's the tree falling in the forest. I had the great day, but I didn't share it. Hmm. So I think sharing is, is uh, I don't think you even notice it. I mean, we think about it because we're, we're, uh, we think More we're lost. But yeah. I think it hits people when they, when they realize it. I, I even saw a tweet today from a guy who's really sweet tweet. He said, I lost my wife seven years ago. And I just made myself a meal when I started crying because mm. I know she'd have loved it. And I think, oh, God. Yeah. You know, it's, I think sharing is, is fundamental. I think it's a, mm. it's a human. And it might, it might trump all others. Whenever I say something like the point of life is to be happy, someone <laughs> used to on Twitter says, well, ma- well, yeah, but mass murderers are happy. Yeah, you've got a point, mate. Mm. Yeah, I, I forgot. 
I forgot <laughs> the point of life is to be happy and not and not do too much genocide. Sorry, I didn't fit that all into one right. fucking week. <laughs> 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 oh dear it's a long life and a short one it's i don't know who made that point first but it it, there's some kind of distortion of perception here where it can be an amazing challenge to figure out how to how to be happy even when you have all the the requisites in place and yet you, you 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 turn around and another year has flown off the calendar i mean it's amazing it's just amazing how if someone told me that we have, you know, the, the physicists had gotten together and we have discovered that time is actually speeding up, right? That, I mean, that, that would, it would certainly track my experience. I mean, a year is nothing <laughs> now, you know, it's just, I mean, I, there's an easy way to explain this psychologically that if, for every year you live, a year is a, a smaller percentage of your life lived thus far. So, you know, you're, you know now, now a year for you is 1 60th of what you know to yeah. be your life. But by definition, a much higher percentage of what's left. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, but I think we should add that all those things we've listed, what's fantastic about life is, is important because it's not just living for the sake of it. It is mm-hmm. the quality life so when we try and make everything as lovely and comfortable as fun as we can we know that there's going to be terrible days when one by one those things are slowly taken away from us and that's the terrible thing that all the, I, I love tennis there's going to be a point where i where i have to sit down and go, you can't, i can't play tennis anymore for for whatever reason you know mm. you're too old you've, you, i've i can't walk anymore whatever I know one day I'm going to, unless I die, you know, playing tennis. Die on the court. Yeah, exactly. But, and that's true of everything. And I, I want to end this list of what's great about life with one that I really enjoy in the moment and look forward to it. And it's a weird one. It's reminiscing. It's looking mm. back. I enjoy sitting around with uh you know, cast and crew talking about what a great shoot that was or at an award show, you know, you win an award and you go, what a great time, what a great job we did. You know, with friends and family, do you remember when? And you laugh, you've, you, you've, and that's sharing as well. But I think you want to get to the point when you're on your deathbed and you look back and you smile and you go, I, I couldn't have done better. I couldn't have had a better life. And um, I, I think if you, can, if you can aim for that and look forward to that and it happens, it's true. You couldn't have lived a better life. I'm with you on all that. That just seems like there is no other project. And I guess the one piece I would add is that even as it's slowly or even somewhat precipitously taken away, there's the potentially beautiful side of that too. Yeah. There are people who, I've known people who have died in ways that are just amazingly beautiful. I mean, just like, it's exactly the death you could hope for. They just won the death lottery in terms of the the, the spirit in which they they did everything, treating it the way they treated the nurses and the doctors. And, you know, it just, they they lit up the room. And and that's... um, that's an astonishing and, and beautiful thing that, that uh, you know, one should certainly hope to 
achieve a, oneself. You know, there's a, a famous comedian. He's dead now uh, from England called uh, Bob Monkhouse, and he did a joke. He wants to die in his sleep like his father, and not like his father's passengers. <laughs> That is hilarious. <laughs> oh my god. I did not see that coming. <laughs> right, <isn't it? laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I I would I recommend you do not die on the tennis court because that I'm picturing that. That's gonna look ridiculous however you do it. It's just the wrong outfit. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what I wear. I I'm... wear a sequined ball gown and tiara. <laughs> I look really classy uh, when I when I <laughs> <laughs> good lovely cheers